So before we broke for Christmas, uh, which again seems like it was so long ago, you'll remember that we were doing the teaching, Claire did the study on the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well. Uh, Claire shared how Jesus ministered to uh, this woman in such a personal way that it actually transformed her life instantaneously. And we all know people that when they come to Jesus, their life is transformed. I mean, they are definitely not the same person. Some of us, it takes a little longer. It's a day-by-day process. And um, just how it just changed her life, who in turn, she went and ministered to the people of her town and how it transformed the whole town. They listened to what she had to say. Then they went out. And they listened to what Jesus had to say. And they were transformed. Now we're going to look at the remaining verses of chapter 4 of uh, John. After Jesus left her town. And in verse verse 43 it says, Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. Jesus went to Galilee. Jesus went among the villagers. I love it. Because Jesus wasn't above anyone. He went to the villagers. Um, he didn't care if you were Mr. Multimillionaire. He didn't care if you were the lowest. He didn't care if you were the sickest. He didn't care if you were the healthiest. He was there for anyone and everyone. If you decided you wanted to go and you wanted to hear him, you wanted to spend time with him, he received you openly. And you know what? That hasn't changed. 2,000 years later, that hasn't changed. He is there to receive anyone and everyone that will come to him. So we see that Jesus goes to Galilee with the villagers. Um, He foreknew that the Galileans, many of them, would believe on him. In verse 44, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. You'll notice that Jesus declined going to Nazareth. Jesus testified in Matthew 13, verse 57, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. This obviously is very true. In John 6, verse 42, it says, And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? They were offended at Jesus. They took offense that someone they considered their peer their peer uh, of, uh, to be able to minister to such degree. And, you know, their attitude was, who do you think you are? We know where you're from. We're from the same town. So it was very difficult for Jesus to minister there. And so he declined to go to Nazareth. Jeremiah experienced such hostility in Jeremiah 11:21. Listen to uh, what God says. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. They didn't want to hear it. Uh, We see when David, as a young man, when his father asked him to take provisions, some food and provisions to his brothers when they were in um, Saul's army. And while David's there, he he hears the insults of Goliath. And David starts to inquire. And his older brother is very, very offended in David. Listen to what his older brother said in 1 Samuel 17, 28. Then Elab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Elab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And I would imagine it wasn't a few sheep. But you see the digs? You see the digs of the older brother? 
He says, I know your pride and the insolent of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Jesus said a prophet's without honor in his own home. Many of us experienced some type of rejection when we came to the Lord, and we tried sharing with our family members. Um, And maybe verbally you can't share. Maybe some of you are new believers in here. Maybe verbally you will never have that opportunity. But let me tell you, ladies, actions speaks volumes. It's not so much what you say. It's what you do, how you carry yourself. Those who refuse and reject your testimony forfeit God's blessings. And so here Jesus recognized he would not be received in Nazareth, and he goes to Galilee. In verse 45, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. The Galileans received him, and isn't that true with us? As well, uh, many times, we don't have a problem sharing with a stranger. Sometimes God will open up doors, and you just share. But you can't do that with your own family, but you can share it with a stranger. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes family's so tough, isn't it? So tough. Um, today, those who make the effort to come down and to hear the word of God are blessed and more prepared for life and for life situations and life circumstances. These Galileans were going to be blessed because they wanted to come down. They wanted to spend time with Jesus. They wanted to hear him. So the Galileans received Jesus, welcomed him. There is no price that can be set for the benefits of those who receive from the Lord. Our world uh, has the idea that those who have great possessions, great wealth, um, have incredible benefits. And they do to some extent. Let's face it. They've got great benefits. Um, But nothing that is lasting. On the other hand, those that have Jesus Christ have everything. We have everything. We have so much. Possessions can't give you peace, can't direct your life, can't give you hope, can't give you eternity. But our relationship with Jesus gives us that and so much more. Every one of us, if we had the time, could testify what God has done in our life. And if God never gave us another single thing, we are blessed. We are absolutely blessed. We're told that the Galileans received Jesus and the blessings that they received. Look at verses 46 and 47. So Jesus came into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and employed him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. A certain nobleman from Capernaum. Who was uh, who was uh, who has a critically ill son came to appeal to Jesus to heal his son. The man was an official of Herod's court and most likely a man of great influence, a man of great power, and a man of great wealth. Most likely, by all outward circumstances, this nobleman had everything except something that money could not buy. A perfect example of how money cannot buy everything. Matter of fact, you can look on the news every single day and some wealthy person has committed suicide or done some tragic thing because their wealth, their success, cannot give them the things that God can give them. Um, This man was desperate because of the life-threatening condition of his son. Death was imminent. 
for this man. Every one of us that have children and have watched our children grow through difficult times, very sick, difficult times, you're desperate. You are crying out to God. You want God to work. And all the money in the world can't do anything for you. The best doctor in the world can't do anything for you. God has to work and intervene on those affairs. Uh, This man was desperate because of the life-threatening condition of his son. Death would be imminent if he did not get help. This official had made the journey of 25 miles on the basis of Jesus' reputation. This man thought, what else can I do? What else can I do? He had heard about Jesus, and so he makes this 25-mile trip. Now, think about 25 miles today is nothing like 25 miles in those days. 25 miles, we're there in 15 minutes. 25 miles in Jesus' days, a day and a half at least, depending on the circumstances, depending on the roads. The snowman's faith drove him to Jesus and also drove him to his knees as he persisted uh, with his pleas. The crowd who had been following Jesus here, hear the plea of this father. The crowd is waiting. Can you imagine this man is pleading before Jesus? The whole crowd is there. They're just watching and they're waiting. And as I was studying this, one commentary said it was almost like a circus atmosphere. All they needed was some popcorn. They're going to sit down and watch what was going on. Listen to Jesus' response in verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus reproves the crowd. Basically, Jesus was telling them to trust in him, not in the mere miraculous, which demands more miracles. You'll remember when Claire shared about the woman at the well and her encounter with the Lord. There was no miraculous miracle. Yes, Jesus revealed her background, but no miracle took place. But only that Many believed on the testimony of the woman. Many came to hear and believe because they heard Jesus for themselves, not because of the miraculous miracles, but because of God's word. God's word spoke to the heart of this woman. God's word spoke to the heart of the people in Samaria. It reminds me of the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember? They were just waiting the next day for more food. You know, Jesus wants to fill the appetites. He wants to fill the spiritual appetites. Because you know what? We're going to be hungry tomorrow, the next day. Well, actually, you know, many of us had a fabulous, fabulous Christmas dinner, didn't we? But the next morning, we were starving, weren't we? But when Jesus feeds us with his word, there's a fullness that we just receive. There are things that God has taught me from his word that I have never forgotten. And that when I go through a difficulty, it's there. I call upon him. I call upon his word. It's there. It's never gone. It's always there. We have all met people who all they care about is the exciting experiences they can receive in ministry. But never is there a real change in their lives. I knew this young lady who loved going to church. She went to this big church, and she loved going to church when they they would have concerts or sensational events. And this church would have several sensational events. And she was always there. But she was never there for the teaching of the Word of God. Never. There were um, the whosoevers. There was uh, this... um, um, 
musician, his name was Head, which I don't know who they are, but obviously he was a big wig in the music world, and she was excited, and she loved it, and she couldn't wait to come and hear, but never the word of God. She was all into the sensational, all into the sensational. Let me tell you, that girl never really went to church, and you know what? I don't know where she is today. I don't know where she is. I don't know if she was ever really saved because she was so caught up in the sensational. We can't be caught up in the sensational. We must have the word of God. Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, signs point beyond the power of miracles to the person of Christ. Wonders express the reaction of the people to the the miracle, and they should be in awe of the person of Christ. Signs and wonders point to Jesus. God's order is always the word first, then signs. It's a confirmation of his word. Christ the word comes first, and then signs follow. We're told in Matthew 4, verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. What did he do first? He taught. He taught the word of God. Jesus wanted them to go beyond the signs and the miracles, to trust in him, believe in his word. Genuine faith rests in the promises of God's word. When I'm dealing with a trial, it's the word of God that ministers to my heart. It's not some wonderful miracle that's taken place in somebody else's life, but it's the word of God that strengthens, that directs, that guides, that ministers to me. Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In Psalms 19 verse 8 it says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That we need to be enlightened. We live in a dark world. We need our lights, our eyes lightened through the word of God. We see things clearly when we run it through the word of God. Sometimes we're so caught up, we're so emotional, we're so overwhelmed by what we're going through. It's only the word of God that brings clarity back to our heart, back to our mind. In Psalms 119, verse 105, it says, uh, Your word is a lamp to my feet. I love it because he directs me through the word of God. We live in the midst of a dark and demonic wisdom. We need his word to light our path. Uh, As we read his word, he whispers his secrets in our heart, in our ears. In Psalms 25, verse 14, it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. I love that. I want to hear his secrets. Remember when you were little girls, and your friend says, I have a secret. Really? What? God wants to whisper his secrets into our heart. Um. God has given his word as our guide. God does not want me to make foolish mistakes that the world makes, mistakes that would be crucial to my life. This is why we have the word. He wants us to depend on him through the word. The the world depends on philosophy. It depends upon psychology and other resources. This is the best that the world has to offer. And it's funny because I don't know if you've ever watched some of these crime stories and they'll have um, a couple of psychologists telling you why this person behaved this way and if this person, da, 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 da. And you listen to them and sometimes it's just foolishness, pure foolishness. 
But with the word of God, there's no foolishness. God is the one who designed us. He knows how to minister to us. Uh, We, the believer, have something far greater than the uh, wisdom of man. We have his word and we have prayer. God gives us so much. These all enable us to make our way through life and to avoid the tragedies we see so many in the world fall prey to. We gain insight. We gain wisdom from him and his resources. Through his direction, we are more than conquerors, not victims. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, I have given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. What is he saying? I've given you everything you need to get through life and to be more than a conqueror. Psalms 19, verse 7 uh, states, he makes wise the simple. I love this verse. I have always loved this verse because I know how simple I am and I need his wisdom. Colossians 2, verse 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What more can you ask for? In him, in Christ Jesus, in his word are hidden all the wisdom that we need to get through this life. It is vital that we saturate our minds with his word. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7, I know all of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto his own understanding. In all his ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Then it goes on to say, be not wise in your own eyes. Why? There's no wisdom in us. The wisdom is in God. The wisdom it is, is, is in his word. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. We are to trust him with all our heart and refuse to rely on our own understanding. We must plan, we must prepare, but we must hold our plans loosely, giving God the right to revise them or to replace them without our approval or knowledge. It's not a matter of what you think is best. It's what God thinks is best for your life. Believe me, you don't, you don't know all. God knows all. Uh, we don't seek to manipulate God's plans but we seek to be governed by God's plans. We, uh, he wants us to learn to be wise, to be instructed by him through his word. Do you understand how valuable God's word is that you hold in your lap? It is invaluable. It's so valuable that he allows you to read it every single day. He wants us to learn to be wise, to be instructed by him through his word. If need be, to correct you, inspire you, prompt you, knowing that God's powerful hand is directing everything we do. Trusting him to lead you means that circumstances will often be um, over our heads and out of control. How do you like that? But God is in control. God is sovereign. Trusting him means living in a world where our confidence in God's goodness, God's love, and God's word is the only sure and real thing. Trusting him takes humility and submission on our part, realizing that we cannot control the circumstances of our life. Have we understood that? We've never been able to control the circumstances of our life. When you were not born again, you really understood how much more as we walk with him. Because we realize we belong to him. My life is not my own. I've been bought with the price by his blood. 
Begin with spending time alone with him. It is a lifetime of cultivating our relationship with him through the word and through prayer. Every year, I resolve myself to go through the Bible, Genesis to Exodus. I have this Bible plan that I go through, and it shares with me how, how, uh, how many chapters to read in the Old Testament, how many chapters. To, and every year, it's been awesome as I read through the whole book of the Bible. And some of you say, oh, I can't do that. Oh, you can. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And I also ask the Lord to give me a devotion. So between reading God's word once a year all the way through and doing a devotion, you would be amazed how much you get to know God. It is an awesome privilege. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him so well. But you can't do it unless you spend time with him. Psalms 46, verse 10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. David said in Psalms 57, verse 8, I will awaken the dawn. Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3, listen carefully to me. This is God speaking to you and I. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. He's talking about the word of God. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. We delighted our flesh, our carnal nature at Christmas time with the abundance that every one of us served at Christmas. God gives us that same abundance spiritually as we spend time in the word of God. And he says, incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. Ladies, we're going to live forever. Do you want to be full? Do you want to be right? You know, I was just telling Karen that uh, Monday, Xavier and I try and work out all the time and exercise and walk and all that. And, and Mondays is his day off. And so he slept in and he slept in and slept in. And finally he got up and we walked and we exercised and it felt so good, but we didn't get done until about 12. And I told Xavier, I wish we could just do this once a year and be done, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way spiritually either. Every day we got to dig into the word of God. I, I can guarantee every one of you had breakfast, lunch, and dinner almost. Maybe not quite all, but you ate. Every one of us eat every single day. We need to eat spiritually every day. You must take in God's word. And it doesn't just happen. You have to discipline yourself. You must seek God on how uh, you can find that time alone with him. If you tell me you don't have time, that I'm telling you you're too busy. You need to cut something out because you have to spend time. I'm not telling you to read 15 chapters a day. I'm telling you find time to spend time in the word of God. Uh, Whatever you have to cut out, do it. You have to carve out time every day to spend with him. I love what Warren Wearsby says. Devotions consist of one chapter of the Old Testament and one chapter of the New Testament. Consistently going through the Bible and a psalm. And sometimes he says, I don't even get that far. He's not trying to get as many chapters in. He just wants to spend time with Jesus. Because you know what? Warren Wearsby wants to hear God speak those secrets into his heart. Those secrets that he ministers in our heart are life-changing. They're life-changing. I'm amazed as you spend time in the word of God, how he reveals. There's so much we don't know, and it will take a whole lifetime, and still we're not going to know. The more you read, the more you realize you don't know. So take the time to know him. Um, Psalms 37 verse 3 tells us, feed on his faithfulness, savor his word. The words are seeds sown in our hearts by the sower. 
Meditation and prayer must water the seed. Obedience keeps them in the light, which enables us to bear fruit. Don't we want to bear fruit? We live in such a dark world. I want to be a light. I want to be an example. I want to be salt. I want to be that city on a hill. But I have to spend time with him. Psalms 119 is an incredible chapter, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, which contains 176 verses. In almost every verse, it deals with the importance and the value of God's word. Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, states, as a boy growing up, that teachers referred to Psalms 119 as David's pocketbook. Many had Psalms 119 memorized. Wow. Wow, that's a long book. And many, many had it memorized. Let me share a little of the insight and the benefits as we choose to walk in the counsel of his words. Um, In Psalms 119, verse 160, it says, The word is true from the beginning, and every one of the righteous judgment endures forever. Um, We understand that his word is true. He never lies. God's word is inerrant. There's no no falseness in it. Uh, In Psalms 119, verse 140, it says, The word is very pure, therefore thy servant loves it. In Psalms 119, verse 103, it says, How sweet! Are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth? The word is a lamp in Psalms 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here in John 4, Jesus wants them to understand the importance of God's word and not getting caught up with the miraculous. Understanding this gives us a little insight to why Jesus instructs them in this direction. Now, looking at the nobleman's son, to Jesus' words, he states in verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. The nobleman did not deny Jesus' charge, nor did he assert his own position. Um, When there seemed to be a hesitation, he just continued. It reminded me of the Seraphonician woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, and she asked Jesus to come and to heal and Jesus, when she felt there was a hesitation, uh, listened to what took place in their conversation in Matthew 15, verses 26 and 27. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And the Seraphonician woman said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. As the woman, this noble man, was in the midst of a crisis faith, it was a cry for mercy. Jesus was his, was his last hope. His cry was, sir, come down before my child dies. We all know what that feels like when we've had a sick child. But what the nobleman failed to understand was that Jesus did not need to go to Capernaum to save the child. And even if the child did die, it would still not be too late for Jesus. We're talking to God. He can raise the dead. He can do anything he wants. Jesus replied in verse 50, go your way, your son lives. Your son lives, meaning he is now recovered of his disease and is well and in perfect health and lives and well live. Jesus gave the man no sign. The only thing he gave the man was his word. Would the man believe without seeing? Look at verse 50, the latter part. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. This man accepted the power and the authority of Jesus. Jesus proclaimed the healing. The father receives the word of Jesus by faith 
and he left for home. Can you imagine? He didn't argue. He didn't say, but, 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 but. He just turned around and he left. What an incredible lesson for every one of us to accept Jesus as at his word. Apparently, it was too late for him to leave because it was late in the afternoon, so he would make the trip the next day. Uh, the royal officer set out to cover the 25-mile journey. And in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, the, of things not seen. This is what this nobleman experienced. He didn't see it. He couldn't tangibly touch it, but he accepted Jesus at his word. There are circumstances in our lives where we only have God's word to rely upon. No miracle, no sign, just a simple act of faith is what is required. And isn't that how every one of us were saved? It was a simple act of faith. Someone shared Jesus Christ with you. Someone shared that you can be forgiven of all your sins and you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. You accepted that simple act of faith and you acted upon it. How can it be any different today when we go through different circumstances in our life? It is an act of faith to accept Jesus at his word. Um, I was talking with a woman this Sunday, uh, this last Sunday, and she's going through a real difficult time in her life right now. And she says, you know, Trudy, I just feel like giving up. And then all of a sudden she says, but you know what? I put on that helmet of salvation and I'm going to do it. And really think about the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation sifts our thoughts. What are we sifting our thoughts through? God's word. And if we allow ourselves to be, uh, to think about things too long, we just have ourselves a mess. But she says, nope, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation and I'm going to put on the armor of God and I'm going to do what I have to do. And I, and we began to share with one another and I was just sharing with her how it's those difficult times, those hardships that we go through that God molds and shapes us. We learn to trust him in ways we would not have ever trusted him before because we step out in faith and God works the miraculous. Um, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. by faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses stepped out in faith. He left the riches of Egypt. He left all that, and he stepped out by faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty seven. by faith, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Had the children of Israel never stepped out into the Red Sea, they would have never seen it parted. Many of us have to step out in faith in order to see God work in our life. God wants to do incredible things, but we have to step out by faith. The nobleman went from a crisis faith to a confident faith, trusting Jesus' word as he left Jesus and he went for home. Both the Samaritan woman and this nobleman must have rejoiced the heart of Jesus as they believed the word of God and acted on faith. The hope, the joy, and the peace we experience as we trust in the Lord. In Psalms 125 verse 1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abide forever. That's what happens in our life. We're like Mount Zion. We can't be moved as we trust in God's word, as we step out in faith. In John 16, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me ye may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Every one of us will experience tribulations 
but through his revealed word, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Well, we trust God. Well, we trust his word. Are we, are well, we experience anxiety, worry, and fear. Which would you prefer? The peace of God or worry, fear, and anxiety? I'd rather trust God. This noble man, because he chose to trust God, uh, look what takes place in verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. As the noble man was on his way home, he saw his servants hurrying towards him. And can you imagine? I, I would think that man's heart's just going boom, boom, boom as those servants are coming towards him. What's going on? Is my son alive? Is he dead? What's going on? The servants met him with the identical words of Jesus. The servants said, your son lives. Wow. Awesome. Awesome work of God. In verse 52, then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The nobleman inquired what time it had happened. He knew. He knew it was the same time that he was speaking with Jesus. And in verse 53, it says, So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. It was the precise hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. He knew without a doubt his son was healed at the precise time Jesus said, Your son lives. The nobleman's faith was well rewarded. The Lord spoke only a few words to him, but the little Jesus had said to this man, Jesus increased his faith. He came to know who Jesus was, and he trusted fully in him. The nobleman uh, fully believed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel. The nobleman's faith uh, is rewarded, and now he experiences a confirmed faith. Each one of us has opportunities to grow in our faith, and we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. In our trials, if we will turn to the word of God, his word will speak to us. And if we believe and act upon it, we will grow in faith. Look at verse 53, the latter part. And he himself believed and his whole household. The nobleman's faith was a contagious faith. The healing of this child not only resulted in a physical healing, but a spiritual healing of the whole household. How awesome is that? How awesome? You don't think Jesus knew that? That when he sent this man home, that he did not know that the whole household would be saved? Uh, In a Christian's home, it's not only the believer who uh, receives the benefits, but all in the house, uh, the the believer as well as the non-believer, because the non-believer is able to see how the believer behaves. And so it's a blessing to them. God, they're able to see how God works in the non-believers. So if you live in a home with many non-believers, God's entrusting you to be that example, to be that light. I knew this husband and wife, and I remember talking to him one time, and the husband said that before they got saved, his wife wasn't a nice woman, wasn't nice at all. She had a nasty attitude, and she was kind of mean all the time. And then one day, she came home. And her whole countenance had changed. And she was sweet and she was kind. And because she had been not so nice for so many years, he said, I'm going to get even with her. And he would be mean to her. And you know what? She wouldn't retaliate. She continued to be kind. And it just kind of blew him away. And so he decided, I'm going to church with her. And he got saved. Do you see how one believer can make such a difference? 
in a household. We need to be that light for this world. Um, looking back as we chronicle this man's past few days, we have witnessed in this story the faith of a father. We see the nobleman is confronted with a crisis faith as he petitions Jesus on, be on behalf of his critically ill son. Second, we see the nobleman demonstrate a confident faith as he accepts Jesus at his, at his word when Jesus says, your son lives. Third, we see the nobleman's faith is a confirmed faith upon returning home and met by his servants, validating the healing of his son. And fourth, we see the nobleman's faith is a contagious faith as the whole household believes. John tells us lastly in verse 54, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The first sign was a wedding party, a sign which produced uh, which was which persuaded his disciples. His disciples knew that Jesus turned the water and the wine. The second sign was connected with the worst tragedy ever, the illness and soon death of a child. This sign persuaded the nobleman and his whole, his whole household. Amazing what Jesus wants to do if we will but yield if we will but accept him at his word, if we will but spend time in his word. God wants to do incredible things in our life. Will we yield? Will we listen to that still, small voice? Will we spend time with him?